Welcome to Behavioral Health in the New Normal, a podcast developed by Prestige Community Resources, aimed at bringing healing back to our community through knowledge, expert advice, and positive messaging. The show is a joint venture between the Department of Behavioral Health and Prestige Community Resources, funded by SAMHSA in response to the challenges currently impacting our communities. Hosted by Paul Wells Sr., who uses over 30 years of extensive clinical social work experience to conduct insightful interviews with experts and professionals on a wide range of topics that impact the Washington, D.C. community. From behavioral health crisis to education to financial hardship and anything in between, this show will provide information and insights that will surely make a difference in your life. Welcome back, family, to the podcast series offered by Prestige Community Resources in uh, conjunction with the Department of Behavioral Health. I'm excited today because we have an extraordinary guest uh, that's going to navigate us through the perils, challenges, and opportunities that are presented by the COVID-19 as it relates to homelessness. And I have an expert in terms of service provision when it comes to the state of homelessness. Let me introduce you to Mr. Alfonso Padrone. Mr. Padrone, how are you, sir? Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. You know, and I'm humbled by that um, warm, warm presentation in regards to, you know, what I do. Um, I, I certainly do appreciate that and, 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 and with gratitude. And let me say this, we're grateful to have you on our, on our show to help us understand the impact the COVID-19 has had on the state of homelessness and the service delivery. Today, we're gonna to really talk about how the COVID-19 has slammed the homeless population. And we're gonna share new struggles that we are facing due to the pandemic. And we're gonna provide information of available resources to help com combat uh, the increase in homelessness. So I think it would be appropriate, Brother Alfonso, if you could just share a little bit, how did you get into this work? And let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? Where were you raised? And, and how did that influence uh, your decision to work in this field? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, you, we start off this way and you ask me that question and, and it just brings me right back to when it all started, you know. Mm. Um, um, I was born and raised in New York City, Brooklyn, New York, of course. Okay. Um, uh, parents remained together for a certain length of time. Um, but I'm, I'm a product of, 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 of what has become to uh, seem like a, a norm. So my, my dad was secretly, um, you know, uh, abusing of my mother secretly. Mm. Um, you know, one moment there'd be a moment that, that she'll be fine. Next moment, there's there's scars on the face. So, you know, domestic violence was 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 a part of of, of my uh, growing up. Um, being evicted from apartments was a part of growing up. The suffering um, and and the drug use in at that time when I was growing up was was a part of my environment. And so that's what makes me so effective in what I do. And then without realizing, I would literally wind up getting into um, the business of actually trying to um, house the homeless. Mm -hmm. Because I am a very, I am the product of, of the very people, of the, of the people that we serve. Yes. I was so. once homeless myself too, okay. as, as a United yeah. States Army veteran and mm. so on, you know. 
Yeah. During that time, you know, um, it was simpler for me because we didn't have the pandemic. So I was able to lift myself up out of that scenario, whether it was drug use, uh, whether it was those transitional housings, yep. whether it was those um, uh, rehabilitation programs and also incarceration. So, yes. you know, I didn't leave any of that out. Those those were the part of, of, of my experiences that, that, that I brought to the table or contribute to the community of whatever ward here in DC that makes me so effective. Why? Yes, because I, I've been in the trenches with yeah. those, those involved and those that are experiencing the very things, the same things that I've, uh, or that I've experienced. And so that's what Powerful. brought me here. And I'm sure your experience and journey, your life journey has equipped you with added sensitivity and insights that are very useful in your daily work. Uh, you, know right. the, you know the experience firsthand. Uh, and most importantly, you've had the experience of uh, recovering and, and, and empowering and, and moving forward in spite of the experience. Uh, you didn't stay stuck, as they say. And so uh, I'm sure your testimony, although you don't broadcast it, I'm sure, to your clients all the time, gives you a radar and a navigation system that uh, some people in the field may not have. And so, so you said something that was real significant. And you said that the journey through an experience with homelessness outside of the pandemic is very different than now that we're in a pandemic. What, what are some of the differences and, and unique struggles if you're homeless right at this current time? Now, here's the interesting part in that question. You know, when you find out that there's someone homeless outside of, of, the, of the norm, um, your children has or your child has been put on the street. They're doubling up. They're, mm. they're couch surfing, even though they're not considered homeless, you know, right. but, they, but they're out there struggling um, to, to just figure it out. When they started realizing that we have a homeless population that needs attention, they wouldn't. They were preparing to provide places where folks can lay their heads, where they could find a safe place, where they could um, find tutoring, where they could find uh, shelter, where they could find food, clothing, so that they could rehabilitate their their minds. With and that's before the the, the drug use, because now. They to 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 deal with that situation. They self medicate. Right, right. They started recognizing that you know this was a a problem. They they were first dealing with the drug episode. So people were just now drinking and drugging and right. and, and and going through the process of of of, of experience homelessness. And mm -hmm. so when they decided, okay, one thing is being taken care of. That's when they decided we're going to go ahead and jump on the other. But what they didn't prepare for was a pandemic like this yeah. that took place because now everything had to stop and they had to reinvent their whole process. You're right. Now you're right. It's, it's leaving our homeless, our youth, and now the weather is also adding to it. It's, all, it's affecting um, um, how they um, their resources are now limited. So that affects how uh, it creates obstacles for them that is just is just becoming a pandemic right pandemic absolutely so you said something interesting and that is not only has the pandemic created a mental shift uh, in terms of the the mind of the person who's homeless 
but the resources also shifted. Uh, that now, as a result, there's limited access. Uh, there, the, not only is there limited access, the resources aren't uh, aren't even available in some cases uh, because because of staffing shortages, resource dilemmas, uh, and so. It, being able to access services has been um, uh, aggravated uh, as a result of the pandemic. So I would imagine that if I'm in a state of homelessness, not only, only am I anxious about being out on the streets and being vulnerable uh, to the virus, uh, but my sense of homelessness is probably enhanced because the possibility of, of getting stable or temporary housing has re been reduced. And dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another pandemic within the pandemic. So yeah. now we have a crisis that's doubled or quadrupled and increases. And then, like you said, limited resources, limited space. Oh, but wait a minute. Now we have to social distance. That's right. Now we have crowded facilities where now, now we have people enforcing the rules of of, of, of these, this crisis. And we, we have to adhere to the health codes and folks separate it now. There's fights between staff and those that we're trying to service who have mental health issues behind the whole pandemic. And so it causes even an, an increase of, of more issues that, that we're left to have to deal with. You know, some of the basic, basic safety protocols that we have to adhere to, like wearing a mask, washing your hands, maintaining social distance, um, what, 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 what options, if I'm on the streets homeless, uh, what options do I have in terms of keeping a clean mask and having sanitizer and just, just the basic safety protocols? Is that challenging for, for the homeless population at this time? Yes, it is. And it's a very good question because guess what, Paul? It's unavailable. Wow. There is no, you know, you know how you could take your vehicle and just make a stop and say, I want to wash my car. Mm hmm there's no drop centers, enough drop centers like that for okay. a homeless person to be able to do that. I could give you a brief story, okay? Based on one homeless person being out there in the elements for months on end, I mean, smelling so bad that he just can, is so unbearable that he decided himself, I'm gonna call my family members. I'm going to at least reach out to them. I haven't seen them in years, but at least I need a hot bath cup of soup and, and I'm, I'm, I'm out the door. But guess what? When that person decided of, and then the parent was of age, of course, when that person decided to make that decision, I'm going to call home and, 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 and get close to mom or grandma. When they walked in with the rags that they had on, layers upon layers, right. that's collecting the dust from, from, from the ground, from the air, everything that's every particle on their clothing mm -hmm. caused the mother to get infected, catch the COVID-19 and she passed away. Oh my goodness. Right. So I, I, yeah, you said that the mother contracted the virus from office clothes. Mm -hmm. office clothes. Yeah. So, so that's interesting because uh, the home, the state of homelessness increases the risk of contracting the disease it also increases the risk for those who work with that person, the family, the workers. Have you have you been more aware of your safety uh, and and uh, taking preventive measures when you work directly with with persons who are homeless? 
You know what, that's an even greater question now. With that, it's been a normal practice in, in, my, in, my, in, in the religion and my beliefs that I have, we, we are constantly keeping ourselves cleansed and purified. And so yes. compiled, the connection was made, like here it is now, we're all finding out how important it is to keep yourself cleansed. And right. so I find myself more, more conscious, more, more conscious, twice the amount, because I know the population I'm dealing with. I mean, I could literally, if, if I had a face-to-face -face right now with one of our clients, he's just now coming off the street, your, your senses become heightened and they become sensitive. And all of a sudden, even if you do have a mask on, all of a sudden now you're starting to cough <coughs> because something off his clothes is now viral. And so you, you realize that, okay, this is literally happening. This is real. This is what's really happening. And, you know, I got to continue to uh, come back my, you know, yeah. So and combat this this whole this whole issue absolutely. that we have because it's not to be ignored. So you know, be, behavioral health providers have uh, transitioned into telemedicine format as the primary um, engagement uh, platform, um, and we know that the providers such as you and I are relying more heavily on telemedicine. I was just thinking though that this. This could be a real barrier for our homeless population because they don't have access to Zoom and computers and cell phones. And so I would imagine that more than, than other categories of, of need, that when you're working with homeless folks, there's a little more requirement on you to do face-to-face. -face. They, don't, they, they don't have access to technology. Is, has that been your experience? Yes. And there's wow. also another barrier and another obstacle because now here we're here we're becoming separated from those who need us, right. who are facing the challenges already and the obstacles that they're unable to go and get a simple ID based yeah. on alone, and so they are now becoming almost non-existent. So, you know, how do we how do we do connect with how do how do we connect with them? Do we show up in one of those um, you know those biotech masks and everything with the with the with the uh, with the, the the booties and everything exactly. you know just exactly. to deal with them? That's the concern. Our yeah, economic the, this pandemic is going to change the way our economics is going to be. Um, um, run in the next couple of years, and and we're sacrificing a very large population. Yeah, you know the homeless population. In some regards, uh, those suffering in the state of homelessness are invisible already, just by their yes. condition and state. Now, when you add the pandemic and the lack of interaction that they have or opportunities with interaction, now they're completely invisible. Uh, and so, it, I'm glad you kind of alerted us to that. Something else you said that is so true, and and my 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 take on it is not everyone can work with persons who have suffered with uh, a state of homelessness. You talked about their presentation; it's sometimes undesirable as a result of their um, their lifestyle. Like you said, they the grooming and hygiene may be poor, their mental health may be very disheveled. Uh, there might be increased agitation. I guess what I'm saying is sometimes they're difficult to be around just based on their presentation. And not everyone in the behavioral health field has the tolerance or the acceptance or the ability to work past that presenting, uh, those presenting factors, right? Uh, the agitation, the bad body odor, the, 
the disheveled presentation. Um, it takes a very special person to be able to almost ignore that or uh, incorporate all of that into their engagement. So I salute you uh, because when we talk about frontline workers, you're a frontline worker. You're in the trenches. And the trenches aren't always um, a pleasant place to dwell in during your workday. It's tough. It's tough territory. It's like going into combat. You see a lot of decay, a lot of destruction. And so we salute you uh, for that. Let me ask you an important question. Do you see some differences based on gender in terms of how persons are responding to the pandemic? Uh, What's your sense of, for example, women who are homeless? Do, do they have different challenges during the pandemic than men, or is it, or is it just shared experience across the board? No, this is for the women. They're the most vulnerable. They're becoming prey. So they have become literally prey to um, these men who are affected by homelessness and and mental illness and substance use combined. You know, they haven't dealt with what's occurring within them. And they're, they're beastly. They're, they, they beat on pregnant women. Sure. They, they will rob them. They will leave them there for dead. They will charge them to exchange for sex if they're going to let them stay in their place. You know, oh, they, don't sure. really, they don't really offer um, genuine help. You know, exactly. I, yeah, yeah. the days when we were going through stuff, you would literally take in a whole family into your home and, and until they get on their feet. It's not like that no more. It's about either you pay, play or get out. If you can't, now they're having domestic violence uh, or violence against them. Or, and then they have these these charges against them. It's our women. Yeah, you're, you're very, very accurate the women present with another layer of vulnerability. And they're often, they're already victims to circumstance, but they're victimized even more because of their state of vulnerability. And I hear the stories from, from our female consumers all of the time that, you know, someone offered them the place to stay and then they were abused and violated uh, as a condition of that stay. And so, uh, we appreciate you really um, alerting us to that. You know, moving, what do you call it? Couch surfing. Couch surfing. Yeah. Um, explain called, that. What they explain call it, hidden, hidden, hidden homelessness. Yes, right. And so essentially what's happening is the person is sleeping at different places, uh, family, friends, yeah. and they might stay a couple of days here with Paul and then another couple of days with Alfonso and, Exactly. And you don't notice their state of their state of homelessness isn't as apparent yeah. uh, because they're able to get the shower, they're eating a little bit, um, but they know for sure that they are homeless. Absolutely. And now, yeah. guess what? According to the Housing Urban Development, their rule: a person that that lives that way is not necessarily homeless. Okay. And then, if he's an adult, he's not considered homeless at all. All we can do is just provide him the mental health services. But the reality is I can't even administer a guy, a person like that, the VIs for that test because he's literally not homeless. These, defi these definitions are unfortunate. and um, Absolutely. And they yeah, fall and, and, and federal categories, right? Yeah, right. And there's so many forms of homelessness. So we, when we think of homelessness, most people, 
outside of our uh, the work we do, uh, cons- consider in their mind someone who's living on the sidewalk, uh, bags all around you, sleeping on a cot, begging for money. But that's just one form or state of homelessness. That is just one form. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the worst part. Let's say you get this place. I get this place from uh, our home right now based on something that's catastrophic as as the pandemic. So now I get thrown into that same population on that same level of homelessness the way that it is viewed. And so there's no you know, separating or, or, or type for me where uh, when I get thrown in that same pit, I, I wind up becoming just like absolutely the, the population absolutely. that I'm just now suddenly associating with. And so what? how do I get out of that category quickly? Exactly. And, and so now we have a, we have a, a flux of, of clients that come at us with that. Like, hey, can I get this done tomorrow? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But we got to deal with the reality because now I got somebody sitting in a shelter 20 years before you who's still waiting. That's right. Look at that. Look at that. You know, I was watching national news last evening and uh, there was a segment on the the, um, storm that's in Texas and and how it's, uh, you know, on electricity and people don't have heat and can't get food. And there was this one family that they interviewed that had a fire during the storm. Mm-hmm. Instantly, now they're homeless. So they're homeless in the pandemic during a blizzard condition with no resources to undergird and to pull from. And so like many people who are just kind of struggling in the DMV, you know, many of us are living from check to check. We don't have a, a big a pot of money that if there's a circumstance like urgent health matter, um, you lose your job, you, you, you lose your house to a fire. We don't, many people don't have an option to just replant themselves into a temporary stable situation. So homelessness can happen to anyone at any time. And you're right. They may not be classified as homeless at that moment by some of these definitions that the entitlements uh, list. What are some of the services? So let's, if someone came to Prestige, uh, and of course the criteria for admission is you have to have a mental health diagnosis, but once they're enrolled and diagnosed and start receiving services, what housing supports can you offer at that time if they, if they come in homeless? Well, you know, I'm even glad that you're tapping on that question, okay? Because now, we're providing mental health services. Sure, you can go and see the nurse as soon as you walk in after the intake is done. You could get your diagnosis, so on. But now we have to go beyond the service of just mental health. We got to go at this client saying, whoa, what's next? Guess what? We literally got to prepare you, prepare you for life. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you will prepare your child to be That's responsible right. and accountable This is what you do after you get your education. This is what you do once you complete your education. This is how you manage um, your your accounts. This is how you budget money. This is how you you, you become responsible adult in order to um, um, sustain or even maintain or even obtain housing. And basically, we are literally, guess what? We are nurturing, um, um, even in the state of mental and, and adulthood, 
of mental instability and financial instability and, and no permanent housing, we literally have to nurture children back to a reality that they're not really prepared for. I cannot house a person that is uh, has re, re, dual diagnoses, um, who has a reoccurrence uh, of, 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 of substance use and, 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 and his exactly. disorders, and then put him in a, in, in a housing unit because guess what? He is not fully recovered. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to achieve a good outcome because the other stability factors are unmet. Well, housing is a stability factor. Good mental health is a stability factor. Good physical health is is financial literacy is a, a stability factor. Employment is a stability factor. So what I'm hearing you say in your in your lane of assisting persons who are homeless. The other stability factors have to be addressed simultaneously. And if any of those are unmet, so active substance abuse, if that's not being managed and treated, then your role and your responsibility has limits to it. Um, and so there has to be a lot of teaming between disciplines. There has to be a lot of teaming between specialists. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it sounds like you have to coordinate and, and collaborate with a, some of your professional peers to get a holistic approach. Just help them stabilize all of these domains so that they can be successful. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and you said something else that's critical, that housing, uh, you know, um, many of our consumers come into Prestige seeking housing. That's a very common request. However, not all of them are stable enough or functional enough to obtain what they describe or as, as, you know, what they want in housing. So when you talk about skill build, do they even have the, the skills necessary for independent living? Can they cook? Can they shop? Can they budget? Can they maintain? Can they clean? And so, you, you, so you're so accurate when you talk about these skills that are necessary even to support a placement. A placement is the ultimate goal, but do they have the skill set and the mental stability to maintain the place once you and your team secures it for them? Now, fantastic question. I'm glad that's how you put it out there because now we have to peel back the layers to tap into that memory that they had lost. So they've grown so accustomed to what's, should be available to them because now here they want help. They're thinking this should be available to me. Hey, <laughs> the government puts it out there. So, you know, they have this mindset that, hey, we're going to be taken care of. And they forget, they forget those, <laughs> those simple get up and brush your teeth type of, of, of thing that they're supposed to be doing. They literally put that to the side. So what I do is sustain services when it comes to the housing component. I give them the reality and keep them busy so that way I could bring them back to the memory that this is the work that you got to put into in order for you to achieve the, 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 the outcome that you're looking for. Because all I can do is control the process control the process, the process you're gonna right. have to mm -hmm, you're gonna have to really dig deep i mean if if you say you want to stop smoking you gotta stop smoking if you don't want to drink coffee leave it alone you know That's those right. are the factors that sets it right off right there and then it leads into heavier things whether they realize it or not whether they admit it or not 
Right, right. They want to say this is what's happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's I, uh, how I sustain services when it comes to the housing. So that way they could keep coming back. They got to bring documents. They got to they gotta reinvent their lives to, and mold it back to the way that they want it. And so with that type of service and suggestive services. And, and, and that in itself, it, it, and that in itself is a process. So again, our consumers are in urgent need of housing um, and yes. they want it now. Yeah, uh, but the process doesn't accommodate a now placement. A now placement often is just a shelter option. Uh, but when you talk about transitional housing, single room occupancy, CRFs, there's a process that has to be met uh, before you can even be considered for those placements. And again, with the pandemic as the backdrop, you know, I got to remind the audience that if I'm in a state of homelessness, I probably don't have ID. I probably don't have, so my identity, which I have to confirm to make sure I'm eligible for the entitlements, I can't even confirm it because I don't have it. So mm -hmm. now I got to go get my ID. That's a process because as you know, DMV has new procedures or social security has new procedures. You can't just walk in without ID and to get ID. And so it can be very daunting for, uh, daunting of an experience for someone who's going through this this, this process. Let me highlight one more thing before we close. We know that those who suffer with chronic and persistent mental illness primarily uh, uh, includes those with thought disorders like schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. We know that the onset generally of the first episode is between age 18 and 23. We know that the literature is clear, you know, professionally, you know, clear, right? that, that's mm -hmm. experienced. Now, those are critical, that's a critical. Uh, development of states where you start developing some of the skills that you need to live independently. That's, I mean, that's prime time right there. So if I've disrupted my learning opportunities, a psychotic experience or hospitalizations, then I've never actually acquired the skills of independent living. I, I've never even begun to develop the skill. And right. so I, you know, I've, I'm, Glad you highlighted the fact that housing eligibility uh, is has to include functionality, and I'm, I'm sure there's instruments and tools that you apply to kind of assess and tease that out. Um, so again, in closing, if 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 someone, what's your process at, at Prestige? So someone comes in receiving behavioral health services, they're getting met some community support therapy, uh, and they're seeking housing. What are the first three steps they do with you? How their does first, someone get referred to you? Yes, their first three steps is to engage their clinical management teams. And so when they engage their clinical management team and they go through the therapy and the, the and they highlight the experience and then and then the narrative is available, it's the way that the housing component literally functions. Because now we're looking not only for the mental health disorders, we're also looking for the physical disorders. So that way we can categorize each individual, not only by age, sure. okay, not only by age, also by, by, by um, categories. We have returning citizens, we have substance users, we have domestic violence, we have severe illness, HIV. Right. And so, you know, here. Are we still there? I, I yeah. lost. We're still here. Can you can you see me, Mr. 
No, I can't see you. Can you hear me? Brother Alfonso, we were talking about the three steps that uh, generally uh, a person, a client, a consumer follows when they're referred to the housing division within Prestige Municipal. Uh, so there's there's a teaming and an assessment by the clinical team first. Yes. Uh, and then they refer the case to you. And then there's different instruments you apply to assess their functionality, their stability, and their need. Once your assessment uh, is complete and you get this these findings, if a person is eligible for some form of housing placement, what's the next step? Now, someone that's eligible for housing placement, mm -hmm. now that's when all of us collectively get together to prepare that person for graduation. <laughs> okay, okay. So to speak. And so collectively, uh, on a collaborative level, we um, get them with their uh, inspections, which also takes time. We find, of course, their locations, we get the inspections done. And then from there, it doesn't end. Because right. now we have to provide or deploy case management. We have to stay on top of them. We got to right. make sure that they learn their tenant rights, that they learn um, their, their, uh, their rights um, to, 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 to rent, um, um, learn how to cook and clean, learn, you know, learn how to maintain a property because here it is, you're, you know, you're getting lucky enough to, well, you got the opportunity to move into a place, but guess what? That landlord, he's leery about you, voucher or no voucher, credit or no credit. A lot of them have bad credit. That has to be repaired. And so all of those things right yeah. there, those are the steps. And, yeah. and so even, even, when when I categorize each of our clients by 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 age and chronic disability and chronic homelessness, I see I'm looking at the history, I'm looking at their criminal background, I'm looking at uh, all those things. Then that's when I could literally sit here with the other community and then refer them, and 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 see if they could get matched to anything. Just right. now, recently, we were able to. Um, and this is really rare that we was able to get a referral um, to uh, for those that have um, have sex crimes. Right, right. wants to house. That's right. Those That's right. I forgot. Now about we have that. 15 available places for them, and so we're going to put those referrals in with with all their histories and the nature of their crimes and send it in hopes to they get could. a response. Oh, boy, and so that's, that's, that's what it all takes. So at once all that, that falls into place, then it's a waiting game for the housing component and for the rest of, uh, of the agency and, and staff members. We just have to wait. And we, of course, creatively continue to provide mental health services and be creative with the services when it, when it comes. You're, you're definitely stressing systems, process, teaming, collaboration, steps, procedures, right? And it sounds pretty complicated, I'm sure, for the consumer who's coming out of the streets trying to figure out and navigate all of this stuff. Um, in closing, you know, one thing that really stands out for me is if I'm in a state of homelessness and I have no income, I generally at that moment have no housing options, no, no permanent stable housing options. Income has to undergird the application. Uh, well, I don't care if it's subsidized housing or straight market, you know. And so uh, I'm sure it, it can be, again, a very daunting experience 
not only for the consumer, but for the worker, because there's so many things that have to be aligned before you can actually get a successful housing application in place. Hey, Alfonso, I know native New Yorker from Brooklyn, and uh, I appreciate just that experience, but I know that Washington, D.C., DMV is unique in terms of resources. I've lived in New York, I lived in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. and I've never been in a city outside of D.C. that has more resources available uh, and more access. And so uh, unless you've been lived in other places, you wouldn't recognize that not all cities have even uh, the few options that we have here in the DMV. Uh, but what you're suggesting is even now, during this pandemic, those resources are compromised. Uh, basically, I mean, basically, it's, just, yeah. it's just a barrier. So now you just can't get to it. Right. And so right. now we have to make ourselves available so that they, that way they can get to it. That's right. So that's what makes all of us stand out, you know, uh, here at Prestige, because we're not waiting for our customers to go and get a phone. We actually go and give them a phone. We go and right. get them. Okay. We, we also, we have a nonprofit organization where we could literally create jobs. We could create, we, we, we could have transportation service. We could have delivery service. We could have culinary arts created in our nonprofit side of, of prestige. We could do so much with what we're doing for this community that, you know, I, I, I want to come to Prestige for, to, to, you know, receive services. And, and you know, I, I, I want to know what, what else is there that I could be provided. We got a peer certification thing that's going on. I, I promote those things, especially when, when someone doesn't have income. I need that right. person to get income, even right. if it's, even if it's um, Social Security. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you IDA so you could pay it back. No, I, I want... I want you to highlight your experience so that way when we get the information, we could compare it to what SSI is looking for, okay? And when we promote the narrative, they come and look at our stuff, they'll, they'll uh, approve of the claims that they're, they're putting in for when it comes to SSI. Right. So we provide them with benefit, a benefit specialist, a vocational specialist. And when we're doing all those things, they, it's an attraction. They're going to come. And Absolutely. however long it's going to take them, uh, it, they're going to forget they're homeless, but because they're putting in the work, they're going to yes. be okay and patient right now to the way that they're living because they, they're doing something about it. And so long as that we remain consistent and supporting them to, to make that happen, it's right. done. Right, Mr. Padron. Right. Yeah, Ms. Padron, you're a coach, you're a facilitator, you're, you're a mentor, you're a social scientist. Uh, you have to play so many different roles yes. to help uh, our consumers navigate all of these systems and all the barriers that that, 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 that they're presented with. Alfonso Padron, Senior Housing Coordinator, Prestige, we appreciate and salute you for your service. You have really enlightened, uh, you know, enlightened the, um, the audience on some of the barriers and the realities right now during the pandemic around homelessness and service provision. Uh, we thank you again for your service. You're at, you're at the front, talk about front line. You're, you're, you're beyond the front line. You're, you're, you're in it. You're in the trenches helping people mm -hmm. recover and, and get a sense of stability. For the audience, I know you've appreciated the time with uh, Mr. Brother Alfonso. And um, Alfonso, if, if people wanted to reach out to you directly, what would be the best contact information? Where, where can they 
where can they find you? I give everyone my personal phone number. It's two four zero seven zero one five one one two. You can Repeat call me one more time, time. Every time, that's right. Call me every time, anytime, as many times as you want to. I will not answer that phone, but I will get back to you. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. What's that's that number again? It's a uh, two four zero seven zero one five one one two. And do you mind sharing your email address with the audience? Uh, you know? work work e- email is, yes. should be work right. So it's, yes. It's, it's alpadron at pbhdc.com. All right. Thank you so much, Padron. Um, listen, for the audience, if you want more information about what who we are and what we do at Prestige, visit our website at prestigecommunityresources.org. Thank you for joining us today. This episode has been uh, significant and impactful. It has been a pleasure having Brother Afonso and the audience Uh, with us today. Until next time, stay safe and be well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.